Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of the More Than a Classroom podcast. Thank you so much for sticking with us. I know that uh, we're finally on a regular schedule, which is nice. So today I want to talk a little bit about everyone's uh, favorite term, classroom management, or as you'll see with the title, classroom engagement, right? So just because... I don't know. There's something when we talk about classroom management, we know that it's huge, but it's such a teacher term. So I want to talk about classroom engagement, because as you know, this podcast isn't just for teachers, but students, parents, guardians, administrators, all of that alike. Right. Um, I just want to talk about why our classrooms are a little different. Right. So you think it's 830 in the morning and it's early. No one wants to be at school. The teachers are tired, barely functioning, running caffeine only. We're just already on fumes and you got to kind of get yourself going during the day. The students are feeling the same thing. The parents, maybe we're at work, maybe we're home, whatever it, whatever it is. The last thing that we want is to be worrying about are our kids actively learning or are they not? And a lot of times that we hope for the best, but that's not always the case as we know, right? So first I want to, I want to start with a little, um, a little post that my wife shared with me because this this goes back to uh, back to something we were talking about as far as first week and and pre planning and all that stuff. So this is courtesy of the Fuller Magnet Elementary PTA. I have no idea where this school is, but it was a Facebook post I was getting shared around. And I know that we didn't really touch too much on elementary school, and that's something that I want to do more of. But I know that I might have parents of elementary school students or uh, about to be elementary school students um, listening to the pod. And so I wanted to give you a little bit. I'm going to read this word for word. It's a little lengthy, but all of the information in here is great, all right, because I know we're still at the beginning of the school year. These are dropping. We're about to start school as far as here in Florida in about a week and a half, two weeks for a lot of places. And I know when I was living up in Maine, school started a little later. But regardless, hopefully this is still good information for you guys. So this is a preparing for kindergarten tips, but also could be probably first, second um, grade for anyone. I know that that's probably a scary time. I'm not a parent yet, but I'll still be scared even though I'm a teacher, right? So preparing for kindergarten tips, what would you add knowing the first and last name and how to write it would be on my list. So knowing your first and last name and how to write it would be on your list as well, even though you do learn that in kindergarten, right? A lot of parents want to know how to prepare their kids to start school for the first time. Our personal advice is to skip the flashcards right now and teach them the things below. So first, we got a rainstorm outside. So if you hear a little bit of rain going on during this pod, my apologies. Gonna gonna do my best to talk right through it. So self-help, how to open and close containers, specifically the kind you'll put in their lunch boxes. I, I love right there, right? Right off the bat. This is just stuff that we might not think about, but then elementary school teachers are like, dang, man, if kids knew how to do all these things, it would be great. How to pinch and tear packaging, prepackaged snacks, ketchup pat- packets, etc. How to put a straw into a Capri Sun pouch. It will take your child's teacher a long time to circulate circulate around the lunch table to assist. That means less time your child has to eat. Also, your child's teacher would really love to eat too, and they put a little smiley face. How to put on a jacket so that the sleeves don't get pulled through. How to fix the jacket if the sleeves do get pulled through. How to zip it up. How to zip up and snap or button pants. Your child will be the holy grail of their class if they can tie their shoes. Ain't that the truth? 
I actually had a friend, Nick, back in elementary school that he did not know how to tie his shoes through probably third grade. And I used to tie them for him. We used to like uh, hide out behind the slide because he was embarrassed that he didn't know how. He just never learned. And so I was tying them for him. Eventually he got it though. Under personal care, to go to the bathroom with the door closed. Laud, please teach them this. It may be no big deal at home, but it will be it will be at school if they expose themselves to an entire classroom full of their friends. That's true. I've been in I, I always think of sports stadiums. For whatever reason, you always run into like the father son duo that are in the bathroom using the urinal in there and the kids got their pants all the way touching the ground. Number one, you don't want your pants on the ground in the, the, you don't know what has ended up on that floor in the Tampa Bay Rays stadium. Just, and, and number two, you're, I don't want to see that. Right. And no one does. And as a parent, you got to make sure to be good about that. How to pump soap, how to properly wash their hands and to turn the sink off and dry their hands. Under social, how to wait and take turns, how to share, how to compromise. And I know that's hard for a lot of your, it's your first child, right? How, how to share, how to compromise. That's something that we all have to teach. How to listen and follow two-step directions, aka first take off your jacket, then put it on the hanger. If you want to get crazy, try three steps. Under language, build vocabulary with them, talk to them, use big words, explain what they mean. When they start to learn to read, it'll be much easier for them to identify a word that's already in their vocabulary. Help them build their own language and memory by reflecting. Tell them what you need at the grocery store. When you get there, ask, what did we come to the store for? Make them ask a question. Don't let them say, I'm thirsty, and hand them a glass of water. You're being the problem solver rather than having them find their own solutions. Teach them to ask for what they need. So, can I please have a glass of water? Coping skills. Talk very intentionally about strategies to deal with emotions. When you're feeling scared, let's try doing box breaths as an example. If you're feeling sad, what's something happy that you could think about to cheer you up? Your child will be ready to learn if you can just work on these things. All the academic stuff will come. You don't need to pound their tiny brains full of memorized facts. Just work with them in developing as a tiny human. Another smiley face. Parents of upcoming pre-slash-kindergartners, starting school can be scary, but we can do hard things. Um, and they put original source unknown. So even though this was their post and that's where it got sent to me, that's not the original post, but I think this is all good stuff and I wanted to include it. It, and it really does help with classroom management, right? I don't teach elementary school, but I I think the entire first year for kindergarten for a lot of those kids is just learning how to be students. And that was something that was hard after the COVID year. You know, I was teaching, I started teaching in 2017 So we had 2017, 18, 19, and then when the 2019 slash 2020 school year just ended, we didn't know how to do the virtual learning stuff. And then that whole next year, the classes in Florida here were hybrid. Some kids in class, some were at home on the computer. I, as a teacher, had to teach both of them. It was really hard. And those kids that were on the computer for the the second half of one year and then the entire next year, Taking a year and a half off of not having to be a real student as far as showing up, doing all of those things, getting up, getting yourself dressed, eating breakfast, doing all of the simple things, that's really hard to come back and readjust when you've been used to taking classes by laying in bed, right? And just muting and unmuting your mic. All right. So talking about classroom management, classroom engagement, this can look different based on classroom subjects and age levels. 
something to be taken into account while I talk about this are class lengths as well. Block periods are much different than a normal, we have seven periods a day. So generally in Florida from my seven years of teaching is that schedules are either seven or eight periods a day, just straight through about anywhere from 35 minutes to 47 minutes is what we had. And then block periods would be you have half of those classes. So maybe you have periods one, three, five, and seven, or period two, four, six, slash two, four, six, eight on a specific day or days. And those classes are about an hour and a half a piece. And those are much different as far as pacing. Teachers that are sitting here and you've had to teach both block and seven period days, we've all got our opinions, right? I know that my school started off, my favorite schedule we did was we had seven period days, Monday, Tuesday, Friday, and we had block days, Wednesday and Thursday. So we had periods two, four, six on Wednesdays and periods one, three, five, seven on Thursdays. And to me, that was perfect. You got to see each of your seven classes or six classes because plan period, you get to see each of your classes once for a long period. And the rest were those 47 minute periods, which are much easier to pace. And the attention span of the kids is much easier to hold. So number one, with your classroom management, we're going to start with the teachers like we always do. So teachers, number one, the layout of your room is super, super important. If you are not a Florida teacher or you don't use Marzano, um, you can look up M-A-R-Z-A-N-O, exactly how it sounds. That's our evaluation tool that we use here in the county that I teach. And Marzano, it's named after the guy that made all of these rules. It's 64 elements that make for an effective or highly effective teacher. And we use those. And the one that I make sure that I, I really look at is the layout of the classroom, especially if you're in our standard classroom. Number one, the room needs to be safe. We talked about this already. If you have not listened to... Um, our, our episode on safety, then please do so. Clear walking paths for both you and the students. You need to have room to move through students and speak individually to the students if needed. So if your classroom is set up with tables, making sure that two tables aren't so close that kids end up sitting back to back and you can't get through easily. And this also takes medical emergencies into account, right? Can you quickly get to a student or do you have to jump over a desk or around a desk? Or if you're teaching in a classroom and two kids start fighting, God forbid, right? Can you get to them fast or are other students going to end up being in danger because you can't get to them? Second thing is our procedures. We talked about this last episode, just starting from day one, your procedures, they're huge. If you can build habits in your classroom, it's massive. So doing something, doing it again, doing it again. According to Psych Central, this is a website that I was looking up, habits take between uh, 59 and 70 days to become automatic. That's a lot, right? You're thinking two straight months of doing an activity. And if you miss a day, then theoretically, it's not a habit. It's not automatic, right? We talked about making your bed, doing something simple every day. If you are not doing those exact steps that you want to do with your students every day for two straight months, then it's not going to become automatic for them. So let's talk about the procedures for me and the pacing and kind of how a lesson looks for me in a 47 minute period. That's our normal seven period. I'm doing air quotes here, as you can see, right? So a normal 47-minute period for me, and remember, I teach chorus, musical theater. I also run the theater program after school. 
So my room looks a little different than a standard classroom, but the procedures can still be the same for your normal classroom. I start with bell work. The students know as soon as they walk in the classroom, they put their backpacks at the front of the room, they grab their notebooks, they sit down, they're working on whatever it is I have them doing on the board for the day, whether it's writing music notes, whether it's writing down definitions of, of words that we're using for our different dynamics and solfege and things like that. Or um, if you're watching a video that day, putting just putting on the board, take out a piece of paper and a pencil, J- just so that students know. I walk in, I put my backpack down, I look at the board and I get the materials that I need and I sit down and I start working on it. Or if it's not something I can work on right away, then just sit there and, and await further instruction. Something other than being a crazy person. Yeah. Um, sorry, I got scrambled in my notes. Uh, after that, after bell work, that's when we go into the nuts and bolts, right? So for me, it's a vocal warm up. Then it's recalling information that we did. A recalling from whatever you learned in the last lesson is super important. I think this might be the most important part of a lesson. And this is good for teachers. It's good for students because students, there's nothing worse, right? When you just show up and you had a question about something that you learned the other day and it never gets addressed. And then all of a sudden you just don't know it. And then the test comes up three weeks later and you realize that you never circled back to something that wasn't making sense for you. So teachers, making sure that we are revisiting that knowledge and making sure that the students know it. And it's not just the same students raising their hand over and over again. We're all guilty of just calling on that one kid that wants to answer all the time. And then finally, I do some sort of exit ticket sometimes. A lot of times we're working straight through to the bell on our music on a 47-minute period. It goes very, very, very fast in my classroom. Now, block periods are a little different. These are an hour and a half straight. I am not asking kids to sing for an hour and a half straight. So generally, our bell work will be something a little more in-depth for them, something that normally would take five minutes, bell work activities, that is. Maybe I have one that takes a little longer. It takes 10 minutes. It takes 15 minutes. That's when we'll go through and compose music on our own or... We might mark up our music uh, to the best of our ability based on what I have, right? And then we'll sing for a little bit. So it's usually 10, 15 minutes for the bell, for the bell ringer, whatever you want to call it. Sorry, I said that a lot today. Then we'll sing, call it 20, 30 minutes, a warm up into singing. Then I have what's called a brain dump, which Sometimes you just kind of look and the student's eyes are glazed over. Kids, I know you're, I know you know what I'm talking about, where you are just done learning. You have been learning straight through. You can't learn anymore. It's impossible. And that's when I allow cell phones. I have certain rules in my room and you. I already talked about it. We'll do our brain dump activity. Then I'll give them a certain minute to come back. They'll be back at their seats. And that's when we'll continue singing or we'll do a sight reading activity. I love sight reading on the block days. And then that brings us to the bell. Now, if if the students get to where I want to get to on a specific day, a lot of times I'll give them another break near the end of class, maybe the last five minutes or something. They can hang out with their friends, sit and chat. All right. This is, for me, this is where I excel the most as a teacher. And so I just, for me, this is everything for classroom management. And that's building a culture within your room. The number one thing for building a good culture within your classroom is that the students are bought in 
and they take ownership of their learning and improvement within the class. And students, I know that you're nodding your head right now because if you are just sitting there and your only objective is to sit there and listen to the teacher, you are not learning effectively, right? But if you have a reason to want to learn and to want to make everybody and your own learning better, then you're going to excel. So leadership can be elected within a classroom, but leadership is better when the respect is earned by their peers. So nobody wants to listen to someone who they don't believe in what they're saying. Right? None of, none of us do. Students, adults, it does not matter. You're not going to listen to someone who you don't respect. Do the students know why they are learning the information? This is something I just had a, I just had a week of pre-planning here with some former students, or not former students, fellow, uh, fellow teachers and things like that. And we talked about if an administrator were to come into your room and were to ask a student, not what are you doing today, but why are you doing what you're doing today? And if an admin, if a member of admin were to come into a, we'll call it an English class, right? An ELA class at the middle school level. If they walk up to a random student, chances are, and, and they say, hey, so why are you learning this today? Kids will go, because this is the assignment, right? Or they just go, I don't know. And they really don't, right? And maybe if it's a spelling test, as an example, if they're doing a spelling test in ELA, why are they doing the spelling test? Have we, have the t as the teacher, made it known why this is good information? Do we, as the teacher, know why we have picked these words for spelling? I know that if I'm doing some sort of spelling, I don't do this a lot in, in my course class, but I'm not going to pick random words. I'm going to pick words that they're singing in their text for the concert, or they're some of the Italian words that we use, our fancy Italian words like crescendo and forte and pianissimo. These are things that I would have the students work on spelling because they're, they relate directly to what we're doing in class. And that's something that students can more easily grasp. But telling them why they're learning what they're learning is good, other than because it's going to be on the test. Okay, great. So after the test is done, I can forget it. Can you be a teacher that they come to? I'm talking questions. I'm talking if students feel like everyone else in the class knows it. If you've got a class of 30 and there's a student that feels like the other 29 know the answer to the question, can you be a teacher that they come to? Nobody wants to feel stupid. Nobody enjoys feeling stupid. None of us do. And so what happens? A lot, of, a lot of times students don't know the answer and what do they do? They just turtle up. And so, and we're not always going to catch it. If it's a kid that's sitting in the back of the room, we're not going to catch that they don't know what's going on. We can't monitor all of those 30 students all at the same time. And being inquisitive does not mean you have to raise your hand and ask a question right then and there. Does the student at least feel comfortable writing a post-it? If you have some sort of parking lot, we call it in the back, where students are allowed to grab a post-it, that they have a question, stick it on the wall on their way out. Do they feel comfortable writing you an email and saying, hey, I didn't quite understand it today. I was too, I was too afraid to ask. That is better than nothing. That way you can address it and you could even address it to the whole class. And that student will probably feel better because other kids will have that question. 
I don't think I've ever had any classroom where 29 kids understand one thing and only one student, literally one student doesn't get it. Okay. Rigorous play. I put this in the, uh, description because rigorous play is, is a direct oxymoron, right? They are directly counter to each other. In fact, the definition of play is to engage in activity for enjoyment and recreation rather than a serious or practical purpose. Whereas the definition of rigor is, a, is uh, what does rigor mean? An act or instance of strictness, severity, or cruelty. And so we're talking about doing something that is hard, something that is difficult, challenging, but it also should be recreational. That's something that we can actually do within our classroom. I always think of science class, right? If we, if you're an adult and you're listening to this, what was your favorite part of science class in high school? Your brain probably immediately jumped to some sort of experiment that you were doing. It was that one day where you, you got to do a dissection or you got to blow stuff up or you got to launch a rocket into the air or you got to see liquids change colors based on different things. Those are what we remember because they were hands-on, they were interesting, they related directly to what you were learning about and you might not even know what it was about now, but you do remember that you enjoyed it in the moment and that was actually you actively learning a lot more than you were in other classes where you weren't getting to do those things. And then my final note for teachers is make positive phone calls home. I know that you might be sitting here saying, well, when am I supposed to have the time for that? My first year and second year, I was really good. I call, I did a positive phone call home for every single class. I picked one kid out of every class and every week on Fridays, I would sit and I would make a positive phone call home and just tell the parents how good their kid was doing. At the beginning of the year, it's going to be those kids that are really excelling. They're asking a lot of questions. And near the middle or end of the year, it might be that student that had a really rough patch and they just had a really good week. You know, Jimmy, you know, finally didn't chew gum in my class all week this week. I never had to ask him to spit gum out. That's huge, right? Especially if the parent knows that the student has been getting in trouble for that numerous times. Little victories can really go a long way. And I always made them on Fridays because Fridays are a good day where maybe parents get the weekend off. Maybe they have some time free on the weekend. They say, you know what? Your teacher called me and said, you've been doing awesome. Let's go get some ice cream. And it, it helps you. You as a teacher can actually help families bond. And we don't think about that home aspect. Over to the students. Um, I'm going to go fairly quick through through students and parents because we got about seven minutes ish left. So students, how do you learn best? Lectures, hands-on activities, videos, make that known to your teacher. If a teacher does a lesson that you really, really like, just making that small comment really quick and saying, hey, Miss Brown, I really like today's lesson. That, that was really cool. Thank you. Number one, that makes your teacher feel really good. Number two, that is directly telling them, hey, we want to do more stuff like this. And that's going to make them more motivated to make lessons like that, even if it's challenging. I, I think most teachers, if they know that students really love a lesson or a style of lesson, are going to go out of their way and put more work in because outside of the classroom, you know, before they teach it, 
which makes their lives a lot easier. They know the students are going to be engaged. If I were to tell teachers, hey, you need to work an extra three hours every single week on your own time at home, but all of your students and all of your classes are going to go perfectly classroom management wise for the entire year. The heck yeah, I'm in. All of them would say that. Do you, students, do you have friends that you shouldn't sit next to? <laughs> but of course, no, I want to sit next to my friends, Mr. B. I'm, I'm sure you do. But you know what I'm talking about. Do you have that friend where you are always sitting next to each other at lunch? Maybe you go to PE and you're always on the same PE teams. On the weekends, you're always hanging out at each other's houses. And you feed off of each other, good and bad. Maybe you don't need to sit right next to that person in class. It's okay. They can be on the other side. <laughs> I, I promise you, you will get through it. You're going to be too tempted to talk. You're not going to be actively learning. And as long as you just had that discussion with your friend of, hey, I'm not requesting to sit away from you because I don't like you. I'm requesting to sit away from you so that both of us can learn. And then maybe both of you get stories from your table. And then at lunch, you have more stuff to talk about. Do you find yourself clock watching? Are you just staring at the clock, watching the minutes tick by? Find something to buy into within each class and your classes will go a lot faster. The classes that go the fastest are the ones that you are enjoying. Ask questions, a lot of questions. They don't have to be out loud. Like I said earlier, they can be on a post-it, they can be on a piece of paper. If you have a journal that your teachers check weekly or whatever it may be, grab a different colored pen and write a question in there and see if they answer. Ask to stand up occasionally. Most teachers forget to let students stand up. If you're, especially if you're in a standard classroom, teachers might just be on a roll, right? We're going, we're doing worksheets, we are taking a test, we're whatever. Sometimes just raising your hand and saying, hey, can we stand up and stretch our legs for like 30 seconds? As long as people aren't running around the room crazy, and they're just standing up, stretching for a second and sitting back down, that can do a lot for our energy level. Just getting, just being able to stretch your legs just for a second is huge. All right, parents, couple notes. Make sure that your students eat breakfast and hydrate throughout the day. Hydration tracker apps are really good. They have a lot of these. I know the one that's really popular with my students right now is the one with the cute little plant and you've got to like water it. You have to put in how much water you drank and then it waters your plant. So make sure that they're staying hydrated and eating. We don't realize how much their energy level changes based on food. If you were a teacher and you were in the classroom and you have a class right after they get back from lunch, you would be able to see the craziness. And then if you have the class right, the two classes after lunch, you'll see how lethargic they are and just unwilling to do anything. So make sure that they're just eating, staying up on their water. Please stop texting your kids during class unless you absolutely have to. This is the number one biggest issue in my school and a lot of schools from what I've heard is the cell phones. I know that it's a safety thing. Kids need to know what's going on. However, just because you might have a break at work or you're at home and you're hanging out and doing nothing, you got the day off. Please don't spend that time texting your kids while they're in school because they will use it as an excuse to be on their phone all class. Um, they'll also use you and as a, as an excuse when they're not texting you, if the teachers know that you are generally someone that texts your kids and wants to get a hold of them all the time, and you you 
gave the teacher a fuss on Monday because you needed to get a hold of your kid because you were dropping something off for them in the office, which guess what? You don't need to tell them. It's okay. You can drop it off and they'll call down. It doesn't matter. But you, you need to tell them that they're dropping it off in the front office. And then the teacher, you know, yelled at your kid because they were on their phone and it was you. And you emailed the teacher and said, how dare you? I have the right to talk to my kid. And then Tuesday, that kid comes in and they're just scrolling TikTok, but the teacher can't see what they're doing. And they say, please put your, you know, can you please put your phone away? We talked about this yesterday. Guess what they're going to say? They're going to say they were texting their parents. Kids are smart. They're smarter than we give them credit for. And a lot of times I just tell them, all right, well, if you're texting, I'm texting my mom. All right, great. Well, can you text your mom? Please stop texting me because Mr. is yelling at me. So. Um, stay up to date on any online classes or guides that the students are given. I know that we use Canvas at my school. Um, it's also called eCampus and it has an observer feature on there. So you can actually go in and if you know that your student is going to get a bunch of assignments listed on there for their math class, go on as an observer and that way you can also look at their assignments online. That way you can follow along, see what they're turning in, and you're not just waiting for the grade book to come out and say, what do you mean they got three straight zeros on homework? Well, they didn't turn it in. And if you were observing, you would have seen it paying. It probably would have sent you an email saying, hey, this got assigned for homework. And that way it's really easy for you to follow up with your student at home. Encourage your student to ask questions at home. That will translate to the classroom. As I talked about earlier, inquisitive students are just great to have. Sometimes it can be a bit much, but I'd rather have a student asking too much, too many questions than none at all, and then just sinking, because a lot of a lot of students do that. So, teaching your kids to just ask questions, even if they're simple. If kids are are conditioned to know that it's okay to not know things. As long as they want to learn it, that's exactly what we need in the classroom, right? Answer the phone. If, if a teacher calls, don't just see the school number and decline it. Please answer the phone and listen if a teacher has a problem. I know that sometimes we can think that teachers being unreasonable and we all have perfect little angels. I get it. But a lot of times teachers are just trying to offer solutions um, and they might not have any solutions. That, that might be up to you. And we have to understand that students can be one way at home and another at school. And in fact, that's very often the case. I had a former colleague of mine that said, generally, students are either perfect angels at home and crazy at school or the opposite. They are perfect angels at school and crazy at home. And most parents would prefer their kids to just be crazy at home and great at school. <laughs> if you had to pick one of the two, you want them to be great at both, right? And some kids are, and some kids are just crazy um, on both. They just got all, uh, just got tons of energy. But just, just know that because your kid has been awesome and is respectful to you and other people when you go out and stuff they might be feeding off the energy of some friends that they've made at school and they make poor decisions that you would not ever expect them to make. And that leads me to my very last thing, which is that kids make mistakes. It's okay. If your kid gets in trouble, I got in trouble a lot when I was in elementary and middle school, especially. I just, 
I don't know. I was just, I don't want to do the boys will be boys, but I would just do like stupid stuff, like just hitting my friends and pushing people against walls and, you know, yelling a bunch and throwing pencil, uh, throwing pencils at my friends. It was never malicious, but <clears throat> sometimes kids are just going to make decisions that are poor and they're learning opportunities, especially at the elementary and middle school level. I don't think that there's ever been a kid that has just never gotten in any minor trouble. I'm not talking about suspensions. I'm talking about a, a, has there ever been a kid that a teacher has never, never looked over and just said, hey, are you paying attention? Right. Hey, why were you a few minutes late to my class? It's just it happens with everybody. Right. Let them make mistakes. Let them learn from it, because the second that we teach them that it's not OK to make mistakes they're going to put way too much pressure on themselves and we're going to get nowhere at school. So building on that, I don't want to make this go much longer. I do want to talk about our next episode, which we're going to go into athletics. For those that didn't know, I played football, baseball, basketball um, straight through uh, my freshman year in high school before I got hurt. Maybe I'll tell that story. It's a, it's a great one. And how it's actually the reason my sports injury is the reason I'm a teacher now. Funny enough, it got the ball rolling, but balancing athletics and academics looks different from state to state and country to country, I'm sure. And so navigating that for students, I'm, I'm going to try to talk about teachers. How can we be a little more forgiving when students, you know, maybe they're on a travel baseball team and they're going to miss two weeks or students. We're going to, we're, we're the best football player in the state, but I'm failing two classes and the coach isn't going to let me play. Right. How do we navigate these different things? And it's not even just athletics. We'll probably touch a little bit on uh, performing arts as well, which is, you know, kind of my specialty. So anyway, that will do for today's episode. I thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you have not dropped a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you you listen to podcasts, I would greatly appreciate it. Share it around with friends and family. And if you want to be on the pod, send me an email. It's in the description. So have a good one. <laughs>